Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I am happy to welcome two guests into our studio, Peyton Burgess and Anya Groner. Anya is an essayist, author, and poet who teaches creative writing at NOCA and occasionally teaches classes for adults through the Loyola Writing Institute. She is also a fiction editor for Terrain.org and the book review editor for the New Orleans Review. Peyton is an instructor at Loyola University here in New Orleans, and he recently published his first collection of stories via Lavender Inc. entitled The Fry Pans Aren't Sufficing. Both Anya and Peyton have been published numerous times in print and online. How are you doing today, guys? Good. I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you, David. Great. It's it's glad to uh, glad to have you here. Finally, uh, we had to cancel our initial meeting back in the summer, but we got this going, so it's nice. Yes, I was able to move some things around and make sure we could get back in here. I figured. Looking <laughs> at the old sketch, right? Yeah. No, that's good. Well, uh, ha- having you both in here, I guess the first question is, how do you two know each other? Do you want to go first, Anya? Well, I know Peyton because we used to work together at Loyola before I jumped ship and started working at NOCA, and we figured out pretty early on that we both wrote short stories, so we talked about writing a lot and what we were reading and became friends. Yeah. I met Anya, actually, um, before she met me because I just started following her work, and uh, I actually created the Anya Groner newsletter um, without her permission. Um, Long copyright battle, obviously. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, outside of court, we're friendly, but inside, <laughs> inside, it's vicious. It sounds like a great TV pilot, obviously. Yeah. It, it was probably like a backhanded gesture on my part, but now I'm, I'm actually that I actually got to know her. I actually really like Anya a lot. It'd be nice though if you dropped a lawsuit, <laughs> <laughs> or, if, or if I dropped a lawsuit. You have to drop it, I think. Oh, right. And then I can drop the counter? I don't know. Is that how it works? I think so. Okay. It's weird because our lawyers, we also have the same lawyer. That sounds like a rest of the Wait a second. A I didn't even know that. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no. That's great, guys. But no, seriously, I, we, we met at Loyola. We were both English instructors there and started hanging out. No, I, I like that. I like that, that you know each other. You're both kind of riding in the city and doing interesting things. So that, that's good. Mm. For for each of you, when you start each day writing or when you write, what are some of your habits that you go into? I don't know. It's for me lately. It's just it's it's just do what I can. Yeah. You know, every day. My wife and I just had a child like a year ago, which seems like it was like a couple months ago, but it's been a year, and it's pretty much just like as far as writing goes, it's just whenever I can manage to do it. Find know? the space. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, I don't write nearly as much as I'd like to. Typically, if I'm writing, I'm like, I should be grading papers. And if I'm grading papers, I'm like, I should be writing. Oh. So that's how it works for me. Yeah. Similarly, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a child, but I do have a puppy. So right now, like, writing happens in between. It, my, my free time is the size of her bladder, Um, and and her bladder is really small right now Um, and also I'm teaching and doing all these other things so I'm juggling and I'm envious of writers that that write every day but I feel like I write in um, kind of like manic bursts when I have both the time and the energy and a lot of a lot of writing for me is like cheating on one project like I'll have something due and it'll 
I'll get nervous about it and anxious. And so then I'll work on something that's not due. So um, <laughs> oftentimes, you know, like I'll have a deadline for a story. And so I'll work on an essay, um, which is weird, but it works. No, I think, I think that, that's, that's important. Uh, the bladder thing is a great quote. <laughs> For those those bursts that you have, how do you get into just like, this is my like five minutes to sit down and write. Is it just like, I'm going to do it right now? Is there like, like kind of a mindset you have to get in? Deep breath, stretches? I like to, usually I start, I start writing by reading. So when I read some, something that's inspiring, that'll often get me amped up to write and so a lot of times when I'm writing I'll have like whatever book I'm reading right next to me (laughs) so that if I start to slow down I can you know flip back to whatever page got me really excited because usually it's usually for me it's language that gets me excited so I'll read someone's I'll read someone whose style I like and then that will get me started writing cool what about you Ben um yeah, I mean, since since it's so unpredictable when when the time is gonna be allowed to do it, I do have to I, I have to kind of force myself into the mood, mm-hmm. um, into the headspace, and yeah, I'll I'll rely on maybe reading for like ten minutes or twenty minutes um, to kind of get me into the right place to do that. Um, it's nice when I don't even have to do that, though. You know, where yeah. I can just sit down. And I'm like, I know what I need to do. I've been thinking about this for, for like two days now. This this thing that I need to put onto the page. Um, so those are like usually the two ways in which it happens. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. Um, uh, kind of going back to when you both first started uh, writing. What was the most challenging aspect for you? Was there one thing in particular or was it just like sitting down and like looking at the page? I think that was actually probably the biggest challenge was yeah. was to follow through on a story. When I first started, I had so many ideas, but I didn't I didn't know how to end anything, so I just kept starting new stories. I knew I knew that to keep the story engaging, new things had to keep happening. So I had these stories that would escalate wildly and then I'd be like, I have no idea how to conclude this. <laughs> um <laughs> So I would throw every single idea that I had in the same story. So they were they were completely absurd, um, and they, they they didn't really they didn't really end. They just they just kind of escalated until they exploded. <laughs> there was nothing left. There was nothing left. Right? You know, like it's like once once so many dramatic things have happened, um, you know, you you've lost your reader and you've lost any sense of believability. But um, I had a lot of enthusiasm. Good, a lot of yeah. fun, probably. Too. I did have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. That's good. What about yeah. you, Peyton? I, I, you know, when I was when I first started writing, it was really easy. Yeah. Because I just did it because it was fun and it was kind of an escape. But it was, I think, it was easy because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> I was pretty naive as far as like readers' expectations and you know what what a story needed to do to be successful or, or work for for the reader. I didn't. I wasn't aware of any of that, and I probably didn't even think about it. So really, I, it was just came down to me just sitting there and like goofing off and having fun making stuff up. A lot of it tended to be like spinoffs of things I was made to read in high school. You know, mm-hmm. bad Fitzgerald. Uh, copies you know or, or, or the great gatsby too yes exactly even no, more yeah. gatsby 
More Gatsby. Gatsby kills himself again. <laughs> Sorry to give away the ending. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, I, th- I, th- I think, you know, it was just, it was way less complicated for me back then. Yeah. You know, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but yeah, it was just like way less complicated. What, um, now it's hard. What made it more complicated? Just knowing that there are certain structures and like frameworks that go into it or? Yeah, I think, you know, just knowing, well, first of all, knowing how, how, knowing how good, good writing can be by reading other writers, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was, the more I read, the more I realized, wow, this is, this is hard. How do they do this? It's so good. And so like when I read other writers and I think, you know, how to make that happen in my own work, you start thinking about, you know, the things you learned in, in school or the things you've heard other people say about a good writer, you know, what they do, trying to figure out a way to exit your writer head so that you can understand how a piece might be existing for somebody that is completely unfamiliar with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes, that's like the hurdle, I think, for me. That's hard. That's a hard thing to kind of get over. Mm-hmm. Anya, how did you learn to finally finish a story? It's, well, it's, I will say it's something I still struggle with. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm an obsessive reviser, and so I think I've learned that just because I take a, a wrong turn in a story or um, in a novel, I can always erase. I've, I, I erase a lot and <laughs> try again, you know. So I think it's, it's almost persistence more than anything else to get to the end of a story. And sometimes I think we write past, you know, a lot of writers write past the end of the story. So you'll try and write like too much closure and then finding that that odd moment where the story can stop, but the reader can keep imagining um, is is kind of a goal that I have for endings. But I, I still find endings incredibly challenging. Yeah. How do you yeah. put a cap on this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because you're, you know, you open up so many lives when you start a story and you get all these characters going and then the idea of ending it, it's, it's false. You know, it's, it's the structure of the story that you're imposing on your, on your characters. So it is challenging. What, uh, what endings do y'all both uh, lean towards more, like more absurdist kind of things? Or do you like the ones that are more open-ended? You've set the scene and it feels like it could go on for a novel, but you're going to cut it off short. I I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. I have more, I have more unfinished stuff on my computer than I have finished, that's for sure. Yeah. A lot more. But as far as, like, getting a story to the point where it feels finished, I think it, it's not so much, like, the story's over as much as, like, the page space that I'm going to allot it is is this amount. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it exists beyond page space for the reader. You know, yeah. like like... The beginning's not necessarily even the beginning, and the middle's not necessarily even the middle, but that's just what they've been given. And they allow, they kind of collaborate with me to create this thing that's beyond like a 10 page story. You know, like in their head, it becomes an actual world that isn't allotted like a page, page number. Yeah. I think if that happens, then it's probably a really successful story. It's hard to tell if that happens, though, because I haven't talked to a lot of my readers but <laughs> it but, does happen yeah. I, I thought about your characters for sure well I think that's the goal right is like I don't know when I get to the end of a story and it feels like it's I I'm, I can put it down now and maybe start just revising it I'm working on 
making it exist beyond the page during my revisions a lot, you know? Yeah. So, like, the, for me, I guess the page number kind of acts as, like, this sort of superficial container, you know? Yeah, that, that's your, your your binder right there to kind yeah. of encapsulate everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want it to exist on those terms in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Anya? Well, I, I really like unsettling endings. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I like... I sort of like I like to think about writing against closure for my characters. So, you know, finding finding an odd moment where a character thinks they've succeeded, but actually like the, the reader knows that they've undermined themselves or they're, they're working against their own best interest and just sort of ending in that odd place is is my goal. It's hard to find those moments, though, although I think Peyton does that really well in his book. <laughs> I admire I admire a lot of his endings. Cool. Yeah. Uh, mentioning the the book, I uh, the the fry pans are not sufficing, aren't sufficing. Excuse me. <laughs> That's uh, important. Interaction. <laughs> to tell me, uh, <laughs> kind of what the collection itself is about, and what led you to writing these stories and compiling them together. A lot of these stories are just sort of inspired by, I mean, they're slightly autobiographical, mixed with me again, just sort of escaping the the autobiographical elements. <laughs> yeah. So that they can be slightly more interesting, I guess, you know, to the reader. But it, it's kind of like your 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 sort of like non-Katrina Katrina stories, mm-hmm. mixed with some stories about dislocation and and disorientation. And then, I mean, the book's divided into three sections because, like, I didn't have a collection of stories that I felt like worked seamlessly together, almost like a collection working as a novel in a way. It was mm-hmm. more just like. A lot of these stories are, aren't necessarily connected, other than the fact that you can see me as a writer playing around, you know, with different and similar tactics. But I mean, like the first section is is your sort of non-Katrina Katrina stories, and the second section is about disorientation and being a stranger in a new place. And then the third uh, section, I, I, the way I look at it anyway, I don't know if that's how it works for other people, but the way I look at it is that it's kind of these their stories more about finding a like place to be to feel i guess satisfied mm-hmm. you know to be okay with everything um despite things still being kind of weird and like oh, strange as far as what what do i do next you know yeah which i, I you know goes i guess goes back to the beginning it uh, goes back to our, our question earlier about how you end things and i think I do try to like in my stories in a sort of like vague way in, in the sense of like it feels like this is just a chapter in these characters' lives, but it's a chapter that has some kind of closure, yeah. but definitely doesn't like, you know, end their story. You know what I mean? It, it is ongoing. And, yeah. you know, what do people do after the dust settles and things have changed? How do mm-hmm. you react to that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was wondering if you could read a little a little segment from, yeah. from the book. Yeah, of course. So I'm going to read... A, a, shorter more flash fiction i get or i don't know prose poetry what what, what you would want to call some it. some genre yeah some some <laughs> indescribable thing it's in the third section of the book where again like the third section also I, I experiment a bit more with form whereas like the first two sections are are a bit more traditional uh, the title of this is take your boots off before the storm it hadn't been on a course for us but when Rem got excited, I got excited, and then it hit. 
That was and has been the course of events. Rem of green eyes that calms seizures has pulled my river. I sensed things but didn't know urgency like Rem. The best way to explain was together. Ever since the night she yelled my name. I'm still not sure how she'd known my name. You know me, she'd said. So I believed her and moved in with her, and then the storm came. We bought batteries, I bought beer. She bought candles, I bought saltines. When branches blew through our windows and waves crested the porch, even snakes swam to us for help, and we gave it to them in what Tupperware we still had. I saw a squirrel give up and swirl under for good, its black eyes gazing up to admire the rush of clouds one last time. We went inside, up to our bedroom, and barricaded the door with piles of unbounded books. We cradled one another and entwined. I lost mixed tapes of hours, then days, and she made hit records on a juice harp stuck inside of me. But I could feel something at work on me and in me, a stitching, massaging, gluing, and sometimes it almost hurt, but most of the time it felt good and it felt like her. But like I said, I'm not sure what I'm remembering right. Then there was no more to be done. So when I came to and saw her eyes again, those green eyes waiting, I got up with her and we walked outside and even picking plastic grocery bags out of our tree was the best thing in the world. Thank you. Anya, uh, you write in uh, a variety of different mediums, essay, poetry. Uh, you're working on a novel. You do short stories. Uh, do you have a favorite of those mediums uh, or one that you feel more comfortable in? I like writing fiction the best. Yeah. I think it's, um, for me, it, it's it's the hardest. Um, and it's also the most satisfying when I get it right. So, but I, but I write fiction slower than I write everything else, for sure. And I'm not quite sure why that is. I think maybe... Maybe it has to do with, with essays, you know, I feel like you have your material and it, it has to do, you're working more on structure and phrasing and style and with poems because they're sort of nugget sized. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like they're more manageable somehow, but um, with, with stories, they, they take me a lot of time and I write really slowly, but I, I get the most satisfaction. Yeah. I can see that. Um, your your novel is uh, focusing on twin sisters and eco-terrorism uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, according to your website, anyway. It's true. It's uh, true. How did you, uh, how did these two subjects get intertwined in Well, this I novel? mean, they go together, obviously, I know, right? just like, you know, they're opposites, some, you know, contrasting <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I am a twin, and I, when I was in grad school, I... I kept writing these stories. First, I'd write about friends who were pretty close, and then I started writing about cousins. And finally, I was like, okay, I can stop avoiding <laughs> the subject matter that I'm really interested in, which is what it's what it's like to be a twin. So that's how I that's how I came up, up across the the subject matter of of writing about twins. But ecoterrorism, I guess, I I came across that because. There's a part of me that's very sympathetic with the idea behind ecoterrorism, if not the method, um, which is that I, I am sort of I feel like I'm a desperate environmentalist and I stay up at night wondering what's going to happen yeah. um, in the future. And so I sort of I understand the desperation I think behind people who take more extreme measures. <laughs> 
to express their environmentalism. And so I thought that would be an interesting kind of character, somebody who who maybe had like a martyr complex and and wanted to thought they could solve a problem that's that's too big for one person to solve. And someone who thought they could try and solve it themselves, I thought was an interesting character. Yeah, and the dynamics between those two sisters as well. That's going to be interesting kind of juggling that you're doing at the moment. There is a lot of juggling. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's great. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that when, when it comes out. How, how's your progress going? So um, I, I'm almost done. I mean, I've, I've, I've said I'm done several times, and then I go back and revise. But I'm about, my agent's about to send it out. So fingers crossed. Awesome. I probably shouldn't say that on the air. Wasn't, didn't an excerpt, didn't I? I thought an excerpt was published somewhere, like as a short story. Yeah, there's been an excerpt. An excerpt was published in terrain.org, and another excerpt was published in Ninth Letter. Wow. Yeah, so pieces of it are out, out in the world. Although now it's changed so much. They're like, they're kind of these dated excerpts. Hey, that's cool. I mean, you look yeah. at like Flannery O'Connor, she had those three early short stories that became Wise Blood. And it's kind of cool to see how those ended up fitting into the novel. So Yeah, it was, it's always fun when you see someone's earlier earlier work and, and how it evolves. Yeah, just like, well, this changed drastically. What happened? Yeah, <laughs> right. For, right. For better or for worse, we'll, we'll find out though. So it'll yeah. be good, yeah. I think, I mean, the, the, I love like this, the, the sort of basic elements of this book though. You know, like it sounds... Like, it's going to become increasingly topical, which is, like, a really awesome thing. Like, it's never, it's not going to, that issue is never not going away. No. You know, if anything, it's going to become more and more of, like, an important conversation. Mm -hmm. It's great for the book, you know, like. Yeah, one of my, um, well, I hope it's great for the book. The the eco-terrorist character has this idea that they're going to, that he is going to become kind of like a sainted figure you know, maybe after his death, but that people are going to th- see him as a visionary, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which so he's, you know, so there's a lot of ego involved in what he's doing. But his rationale is, you know, is sort of I'm, my hope is my hope is that it's relatable, even if it's even if his methods are not mm-hmm. quite as relatable. But yeah. you, can, you can bring that up, you know, the human element of it, obviously. And yeah. The choice is why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How is uh, living in Louisiana, where, where, you know, climate change and coastal erosion are very visceral and in, in, in the moment, kind of like fueled these ideas coming to you for the book and just in general? Well, I mean, I I worry about the future yeah. a lot, <laughs> a whole lot. It increased your anxiety. <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of eco angst yeah. <laughs> um, that I think about. And the book is it's set in 1995. Mm-hmm. So it's before. Um, you know, people knew what climate change was, although it was still called global warming in 1995. But the the issues that the characters are more concerned with are um, are rivers and the flow of rivers and how rivers have been dammed up and fish can't swim upstream and what happens when you take one element of an ecosystem away, how that affects everything else, that it has, has a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm you know, I'm hoping that because it's set in 1995, even though it's set in 1995, it'll still have a lot of a lot of echoes yeah. for now. I see that. I see that. Um, uh, you don't have a segment of the book, but you do have some poems. I was wondering if you could read some for us. Sure. So um, I have I have a poem called Opinion Page, and it's it's in response to an essay that Mark Edmondson wrote called Poetry Slam. And this is an some version of this essay seems to come out like every few years, where an academic will 
decide that poetry as a genre is is over, um, which is basically what what Mark Edmondson argued in this essay. So so I wrote a poem back to him. Um, Poetry isn't dead. It just needs a haircut and to close its mouth when it smiles so we don't see its teeth. There are too many feelings. Cut out the feelings. Ditto the facts. What poetry wants is a week at the beach, a good tan, shrimp scampi, and cocktails that glow UFO green. From the lawn chair, it'll see the horizon is flat and the ocean is empty. Below this surface is simply more surface, which is why there's no need to splash. What I hate most are insights. Yellowed and wolfish, they remind me of riddles I once read to my sweetheart. We shared a beer float and studied the clues. Whiskey, a rope, fine china, and rings. Later we wept and returned unenlightened to a home we adored, pancakes and coffee, headaches and naps. We had a job and a bed, joint checking and pills. Our love was a sentence, two fools and a dog, some verbs and a mood, and we liked it unpoetic, diagrammable, routine. Okay, so I, I brought two, two other poems, and they're both about my grandma who has Alzheimer's, um, and, and she comes up in my poems a lot. Her name is Irene. So this one is called Irene's Song, age 86. I tell you, someone is stealing birds from the sky. My teeth keep crawling back into my mouth. Outside the window is not California. Snow. A dog visits. I touch his face. I met Seymour at a swimming pool, and now the ladies come. Green pills and cranberry juice. Bills. Where are my rabbit fur gloves? The state of. The bearded man is Seymour, or he is my son. Shake my hand, you. I seem to have misplaced my glasses, my husband. If I had this to do over, I tell you, this will not do. I once had a strong body, then I used it. Rain is fat, today is, I can't. Outside, the grass, the lake, the flag, the rope. I look for my water, shatter on tile. Who's that on the TV, pale legs dangling, humming Shabbat songs? I'll tell you the secret of my porcelain garden. The rosebush is not a rosebush. The shovel sleeps standing up. Great, thank you. Um, the next one's a question for both of you guys. Um, is there a character or a subject that you've just been trying for forever to get right or to write about? And could you tell us what that is and just why it doesn't seem to happen for you? Well, I'm really interested in writing from the perspective of someone, a senior citizen. Um, and I, I feel really challenged when I try to do that. Um, because I tend to write more from like a childish perspective or a teenage or adolescent perspective. And so when I think about writing from the perspective of someone who's had lots of experience and is able to collect, you know, the wisdom of their years and, and hopefully use that, I, I, I feel like I don't have the insight. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm interested in that perspective, but it's something that I, I feel like I haven't yet figured out how to do well. I guess, you know, right now it feels like all of them <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm working on a, my novel and it's kind of in its, it's sort of, yeah, it's in like a, I guess it's infancy, you know, like the first hundred pages. Yeah. And I'm playing with the idea of, well, I've, I've already decided to have a, a multi. 
multiple narrator situation going on. So I guess, I, I yeah, I mean, it's just honestly, I'm always concerned about if something's sounding, especially now that like I'm engaging in a novel that that has multiple narrators, you know. My biggest fear is that they just sound like slightly different versions of each other. Yeah. You know? Um, the cross-contamination of, of um, each character on each other. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. That's hard to balance. Yeah. So, I don't know. I know it sounds like kind of a cop-out to the question, but really it's like just all of them. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I appreciate that. Um, you have an idea of... Well, I think you do. You're writing it. But uh, what is your novel going to be about? Is it okay to talk about it? Or are you still in the infancy? Well, I, it, people always think I'm joking when I say this, but it's it's a bank robbery novel. Ooh. <laughs> you know, All like right. it, it's like, it, which is like your common sort of hook, I guess, in a way. But it's it's a little different because it requires some um, underwater welding and that kind of stuff. An underwater bank. Yeah. Oh, 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 that's a good term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's a book that y'all come back to continually that you just find inspiration from or a favorite book that you can't really stop thinking about or haven't been able to stop thinking about? I love Dennis Johnson's novella, Train Dreams. I keep on hearing that. It's it's just it's a historical novel and it doesn't rely very much on you know on information on the, on the research that sometimes historical novels I think rely too heavily on, and it's it's about it's a revenge novel. It starts with a murder that or an attempted murder that a character sort of gets involved in by mistake as a bystander. He helps out some coworkers as they're punishing a Chinese man who's working on the railroad. And it's about how this man gets revenge and how it affects the rest of his life. But it's written in this sort of elegant spare prose that I am so envious of. And so that's a book that I carry around with me a lot. And my my dream is to write one day write a historical novel that's as spare and elegant and surprising as that as that book. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan of Dennis Johnson, too. I keep going back to Juno Diaz's uh, Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. I, um, for so many different reasons, you know, I, I, the the voice of the um, of the main narrator, you know, is just so captivating, you know, and it's it's so lovable, but also infuriating at times, you know. Yeah. And it's one of the, and you know, he Diaz uses the multiple narrator shtick as well, and he does he does a good job of it, you know. And I also like how much information is in that book as far as just learning about the DR and, um, and the history. You know, it r really does an incredible job of entangling Oscar's story with that history, despite, you know, Oscar not being alive during a lot of that stuff that it goes into. It just makes it very clear how much it's still, that history is still very much a part of the experience, you know. How it how it manages to like live, continue living and manifest itself. So I, yeah, I, I love going back to that, and I love teaching it too. You know, I, I teach it pretty regularly to students. I think that's great. I uh, that was the book in college that was like, oh, modern literature. I'm here. I'm with you now. This is yeah. I, I, I like this. Uh, can we do more like this? Yeah. Um, that, that that's a great uh, book right there. We actually just finished airing it on. Um, on our great literature program. Oh, cool. That was just fun. Yeah. I um, love that book. 
Uh, I guess to kind of close this on out, uh, I wanted to ask you a kind of fun question. Um, if you weren't writing or teaching, uh, what profession would you like to have and why? And also, if that profession and you were a character in a book, who would write that book? I mean, it's obviously an underwater welder, right? Right. I, I mean, <laughs> scuba dive instructor would be the choice career, yeah. if you could call it that. It's more like a, this is what I've chosen to do with my life kind of thing, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I've always wanted to to be a scuba dive instructor. I feel like it would provide the the lifestyle that I sort of romanticize all the time. You, know? <laughs> you got to go into that now, the, the yeah. lifestyle of the scuba, scuba diving instructor. sort of lackadaisical, just always having a tan, you know, and always kind of, you know, just being slightly unwashed, Yeah. you know, <laughs> and getting away with it. And that's like completely normal. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just seems closer to nature too. You know, like I, whenever I scuba dive, I'm just I'm so happy. Yeah, it's it's an incredible experience every time. That's fantastic. Who would uh, who would write that that book with that character in it? <laughs> A poor soul. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Anya. Anya Anya's <laughs> writing about the scuba diving awesome. instructor. That's great. I'd like to write about a scuba instructor. Yeah, he could be like an echo terrorist, right? (laughs) Totally. He could blow up, you know, the bridges. uh, He could blow up some bridges. He probably wouldn't blow up bridges, though, because... Is that too much? No, because the... um, (laughs) Because, like, oil rigs and the structures of bridges make great reefs. So so he'd be hurting the environment if he did that. That'd be a conundrum right there. What if he blew it up and then found that information out via the internet and right. regrets all Well, I have to board. say the internet kind of puts a damper on fiction, I think. Yeah. Also, cell phones. I, yeah. The reason <laughs> that I set my book in 1995 is because both of the, both twins run away separately. So um, if they oh, had a okay. phone, yeah. they, were, they were sort of run away by accident, but yeah. um, they end up separated. And if they had a phone, it just, it ruins the book, you mm-hmm. know, then you can't have a long-term adventure. You can be tracked by your phone, you know, even if you don't, if you don't call. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so. Technology ruining plot development since 2002. Right, exactly. Yeah. But, but there would be no cell phone underwater for a scuba diver, and there's no internet underwater. Mm-mm. So. Not yet. Not yet. You're in the clear, I think. You know, so yeah. this book coming out after the novel, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But a but a a bridge that's been destroyed, you know, it falls into the water. Oh. Then it becomes an artificial reef. Right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So it depends on if we're thinking about what's good for the environment right now or what's good in twenty years. Exactly. Where the places will go. Right. <laughs> hard hard decisions. Environmentalism of the moment or of this century. Anya, who would your character be? So um, I'm saying this not just because we're sitting in a radio studio, but I have always wanted to, and this is such a cliche, but I've always wanted to be like a This American Life reporter um, or a StoryCorps reporter because I'm totally nosy and it's a great excuse to draw out people's stories, you know, and, and ask people questions that you might not otherwise get to ask. So that's a, that's a dream of mine. Although I don't know if that's, it's pretty close Maybe to what I'm, what I do anyway. So I don't know if that's not quite. Yeah, that's too close. Too close. Another yeah. one. Go more extreme. More extreme. Yeah. 
Like scuba diving. <laughs> oh, it's not fair because you already took scuba diving. I would like to work for NASA and their Antarctica Research Station. Ooh, that's, a, that's good. And take ice core samples and wrestle with baby polar bears. And not end up in a John Carpenter movie. Right. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And maybe have like a thrilling, this is this is the fictional version of me, not the currently married version of me, but have like a thrilling romance in the research station. Yes. <laughs> yeah. See, we, just to be clear. Just to be Just to be clear. This is... This is this is not real. This version of me does not exist. <laughs> but but if it did, <laughs> who would uh, who would write this this book with this character? Oh, it would be Joy Williams for Ooh. sure because she writes. Um, she does great environmental writing, but she also um, is so ruthless to her characters and and really picks out the quirky, existential oddness of people. So, for sure. Awesome. Uh, well, guys, this is a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, before we head on out, I was wondering if you could tell us uh, where we can find you online, especially Peyton, because I want to hear you oh, say your geez. website out because uh, it's, it's a great I, name. I knew this was going to come <laughs> back to bite me in the butt someday. Oh, gosh. Really? I have to say this? If you need to look it up, uh, you, you you can. It's um My website is www.word, word, word, word 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 dot com that's seven words it's it's www dot the word word seven times dot com <laughs> thank you thank you is that because word six times is already taken no it wasn't actually oh. just really like the um, <laughs> yeah I, I like the way it looked and for whatever reason I couldn't get I, I tried to just get my name but somebody already owned it and they wanted to charge me a lot of money to buy it yeah modern problems yeah yeah <laughs> what about you Anya? can we find out mine is mine's easy it's www.anyagroner.com and my name is spelled a-n-y-a-g-r-o-n-e-r dot com dot com all right well awesome guys i thank y'all so much again it was a pleasure having y'all thank you thanks david